Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. For more info on service times and locations, you can find us at newlifefoursquare.org. In this episode, Pastor Ken Bringus continues our series entitled Behold, with a message reminding us of a great promise. For those who seek the Lord, He will be found. So today we're, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about seeking the Savior. And in the Christmas story, the people that come to mind that really sought after Jesus are these guys called, we call them the three kings, okay? Um, three wise men, three kings. There's a lot of, like, tradition that surrounds <laughs> their story. But I wanted to show you some, um, some humorous musings that surround this whole like three kings thing. So if you see there's the three kings and they're they're going, "Hey, we picked up the gold." Yeah, gold was one of the gifts they were. We picked up the myrrh, but what on earth is that? Now, what was the third gift? Frankenstein, exactly, yeah. So they got it wrong. Um the the king on the, the your right there, he's holding a box of Pampers and he's going, you two don't have kids, do you? <laughs> you don't get it. Like, you're bringing the wrong thing, right? <laughs> and then, uh, do you know that Christmas carol that goes, um, A child, a child, shivers in the cold, let us bring him silver in. So the, the three kings, the wise men, they're like, well, maybe instead of gold and perfume, we should bring him a blanket, right? <laughs> and then, of course, uh, after the three wise men left, the three wiser women arrived. <laughs> and they brought fresh diapers, casseroles for the week, and lots and lots of formula. Because, of course, the three kings, the magi, the three wise men, visited Jesus on the night of his birth. True or false? Very good, Pastor Mike. <laughs> Yeah, because we assume that the wise men came on the night of Jesus' birth. He, they didn't. Jesus was a toddler, like this picture shows, when they came to visit him. And he was still in Bethlehem at the time. We're going to talk about this story, and we're going to look at this idea that is a very simple thought today, but I want to remind you, because some of you have been in this mode, and you're wondering, when is God going to show up? But watch. When you seek the Lord with your whole heart. Say, with my whole heart. Mind, soul, and strength, body. You will find him. The opposite idea of that is that if you stay satisfied where you are and, and you grow complacent where you are, you will not connect your life or participate with God's history-making purposes. The three magi, the king, we, we think there's three. There probably were more. Who knows? There could have been. The Bible doesn't tell us how many they were. Well, the reason we, tell, we say there were three was because there were three gifts. And uh, so however many there were, the magi show us that there were two kinds of people in this world. There are the true spiritual seekers, those really seeking. And there are those who are spiritually satisfied. And we want to be in the category of those who are truly spiritually seeking God. And so I want to give you some thoughts on uh, characteristics or qualities, distinguishing marks of those who are truly seriously seeking. The first 
quality of a serious seeker is that they take the time and the trouble to begin a spiritual journey. So let's read the story of the Magi from Matthew 2. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, by the way, this is Herod the Great, that dude who was so paranoid that he murdered his mother-in-law. Maybe that's not as strange as we think it is, but he murdered his mother and, and three of his sons. He, and this dude was so paranoid, so fearful. He was a cruel, tyrannical ruler, and he was full of himself. So that Herod, during that time of this Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they said, Where is the one who has been born? Oh, don't say this to Herod, folks. King of the Jews. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So let me tell you a little more about the Magi. Some people think, scholars think, that these men came from the ancient land of Persia, uh, which would be modern-day Iraq, they were sort of a cross between a government official and a pagan priest because the term magi uh, is somewhere between a magistrate and a magician. And so these guys basically, we, we don't know a whole lot about them, but, and we don't even know if they were really actually like kings, political leaders in power. We don't know that for sure. But we do know that they were really smart and that they were very wealthy. Most think that these guys were astrologers. They studied the alignment of the stars and the planets in order to predict the future. Now, here's the amazing thing. God, it's almost like God steps into their world a little bit, and he uses their astrological practices to reveal himself, or at least to create a hunger and a thirst in their soul to get them to seek God. Because the very things that these guys were practicing in Persia were things that were strictly forbidden by God. He told his own people, don't you dare practice astrology. Don't you dare practice any form of witchcraft. And yet, here, these magi, in their sort of pagan practices, all of a sudden are turned towards the living God. And so... This tells me something about how amazing God's love is for us. Like, although we often practice things that God does not approve of, God is still finding ways to reach us and to draw us to himself. That being a serious seeker actually begins with realizing that God is seriously seeking after us. That he came after us before we even took a step towards him. This is what we're seeing in the life of these magi. Somehow, the magi understood the meaning of the star, and watch this. They didn't just sit back and treat it like another, you know, star study. They realized this is something historic. And they didn't put aside their search for the Messiah. They realized, man, we have got to put, we have need to make this priority. I read the signs and there's that star. Hey guys, we need to plan a trip. Think about the trouble they went through to seek God. They, they would have had to travel at least 500 miles, some people say 1,000 miles, going one way to come all the way from Persia to the land of Israel. It would have taken three months on horseback or camelback to make that journey. 
just to see or to find Jesus. Listen, when you act on the promptings that God puts in your heart to seek him, it will cost you time, and it will sometimes cost you some trouble. It will not be convenient for you to seek God. And listen, I say that something like, oh my Lord, should I really say this? Because as a pastor, I've been here for years now, and Pastor Mike and our pastoral team knows this, we do everything we can to make it easy for you to seek the Lord. We try to make it nice and comfy in here, right? We've got beautiful people and stuff and food and all this great stuff, and we want to make it easy. But if you're going to be a true, serious seeker of the living God, you need to know that there's only so much we can do to make it easy for you. That it will cost you time and trouble. It will test your patience. Sometimes it might feel like you're traveling through a desert wasteland in search of God. And so... Remember, at the end of the day, it's all worth it. But sometimes in the culture that we live in where everything is so instant, we forget this stuff takes time. And sometimes I'll need to be inconvenienced to put God first and to seek him. That's why in January we're going to be praying with fasting. Okay? Let's do it. Let's sacrifice for the sake of spiritual growth. Now let me just say something to those of you who've been, who've been here and maybe you're here and you're kind of like, you know, I'm not so sure if I embrace this Christianity thing fully. I want to encourage you who may not consider yourself a follower of Jesus today to keep on asking questions, to keep on investigating, to keep an open heart and open mind about the claims of Christ. Keep seeking, keep searching, keep reading, keep listening. If you are seeking the God of the Bible, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart, even though you don't know everything about him. He's not playing games with us. You will find him. Just continue down the path of honest seeking of him. Here's another sign of a serious seeker. Serious seekers are dissatisfied with empty religion. Maybe that's why some of you are seeking. Because you grew up in that. You grew up in the, the empty religion of the church, what we would call institutional religion. Doesn't matter what tradition. Some it's Catholic, sometimes it's Orthodox, sometimes it's Protestant. But religion can become empty. And these magi grew dissatisfied with their own pagan religious beliefs and practices. Watch this. It says, When King Herod heard, that, uh, heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. So the wise men came in, right? And they're like, Hey, where is this king that's been born? Where is this, this child that's been born? The king of the Jews. That's the wrong thing to say to King Herod. That's why Herod is, he's disturbed. All of Jerusalem is disturbed too because they're like, Well, hey, hang on. We have a king. His name's Herod. And so the Magi go, wait, there's another one. And so Herod says, oh, sorry, was that me? Okay. Herod 
says, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. So this is how the conversation goes. The wise men come in. Where is the guy who's supposed to be born king of the Jews? Herod goes, hang on. Let me check all the religious scholars in our, in, you know, here in the, in the temple. And let's find out exactly what you're talking about. Let me call all the religious folk who know more about this. And so they get together and watch this. He says, what's supposed to happen here, guys? So they're looking through the scrolls, through the Old Testament, and they go, oh, here it is. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. There's the king. There's the Messiah. That's a messianic prophecy right there. And now Herod goes... He calls the Magi secretly and he finds out the exact time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child as soon as you find him, report it to me because I too want to worship him. Yeah, right. We know you, Herod. Now the wise men don't know Herod, but everyone else does. So they're going, oh, this is going to be a sight, isn't it? We know what he's really up to. So watch this. There's an interesting contrast here in Matthew. You've got on one side magi from the east, pagan priests who are sincerely seeking, however naively, asking the king of the Jews, Herod, for directions and asking for instruction and confirmation from the spiritually satisfied religious status quo in Jerusalem. They, they must have assumed that the closer they got to this star, that everyone around that star would be excited to find the Messiah. And instead what they got was Herod plotting. Now they don't know it yet, but look at the contrast. Here are the serious seekers, and then you got the religiously satisfied. Herod was disturbed by the news because he wanted to keep things the way they were. He didn't want to change anything. He wanted to continue to be the tyrannical, cruel leader that he was. And that's kind of what happens. That's part of the reason we don't seek God is because not seeking God, we get something from that. We, we get a reward from not seeking we get a reward from settling and not changing. So often when you have a, a, a situation where there's a person that doesn't want to change a bad habit, the reason, part of the reason they don't change the bad habit is because they're getting some kind of reward from not changing. So that's a good question to ask them. So what are you getting from not changing? Like, well, what is this doing for you? For you not to change this bad habit of yours. Because you know it's hurting you, it's, you know it's hurting everyone else, but you're not changing. So what are you getting out of this? Herod's the same way, man. He sees, he sees all the scriptures, folks. He's got the religious experts backing him up. They're saying, confirming, this is what the Bible says. The king has been born, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And Herod goes, no, no, no. I don't want to upset the status quo. I like 
being where I am. I refuse to change my perspective on this. In fact, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to squash this little king. And he tries later on in the story. But notice the contrast, right? You got these guys seriously seeking Jesus, going a thousand miles, traveling a thousand miles to see Jesus on one hand. And then on the other hand, you have the political and religious elite who are satisfied with institutional religion. And they're not willing. They know that Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's already been born. How far is Bethlehem from Jerusalem? It's like six miles. They are unwilling to take a measly six-mile journey to find Jesus. Which camp do you find yourself in? Serious seekers or the religiously satisfied? You know what the religiously satisfied person in us or part of us says? It says, I need to go to church on Sunday even though it's so windy and cold today. But don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to give. Don't ask me to sacrifice. Don't ask me to serve. Don't ask me to practice spiritual disciplines. Don't ask me to forgive. Like, I just like it the way it is because this is just what we do. Be careful because all of us, including myself, can slip into that kind of thinking. Serious seekers passionately chase after God and they might stumble how many of you stumble how many of you get sidetracked they might get sidetracked but every time they do they get right back up and say we're still going for the star all right so the third characteristic of serious seekers is they follow through say follow through say it like you mean it follow through I'm going to talk to you about follow through in a moment but I want you to see this serious seekers not only engage in the journey Not only are they tired and fed up with the status quo, you know, they say, there's got to be more. Have you ever gone through a point in your life where you go, you know what, there's got to be more than what I'm experiencing right now in your most honest moments? And they engage on this journey. And not only that, as they engage the journey, they follow through with God's promptings. Let me show you this. It says in uh, chapter... 2 verse 9, after they had heard the king, so Herod tells them, hey, go, find this baby, find this child, because I want to worship him too. And so it says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. So I want you to think a little bit about their journey. When God prompted them to go in a certain direction, they immediately faced several obstacles. The first one was the distance. They had to travel a 1,000 miles, 500 miles across the desert. The first obstacle is the desert. The second one is we don't even know exactly where the city Jesus is born in is. We're just going to go to the capital, which is Jerusalem, and we're going to find out. So they didn't know which city. Would we have the correct city? We don't know yet. And then they need to find the house. So these little things represent certain hurdles or obstacles that often we will face when we make the decision to become a serious seeker. This is how it happens, I think, when we say, God, I'm going to seek you with all my heart. He prompts us to go in a certain direction, then all of a sudden, guess what? You start facing obstacles. 
Your kids start acting up. Your schedule doesn't work out. Your boss calls you in. you got to fill in for all these people that are absent, right? All of a sudden, all these hurdles start coming into the picture. And what is the, the choice we have? Oh, man, this is way too much for me to handle. I forget. It. I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. No, 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 no. Don't press through. Follow through. Pass those obstacles because it's at the end of it that you find the reward for what you were looking for. Follow through is critical in the, in the Christian life, especially in the life of faith. How many of you have been disappointed this year after seeking God over and over again for something? And you're like, no, it didn't happen. Maybe it didn't happen quite at the right time or in the right way or the way you expected, right? And so you get discouraged and you go, man, I just, what's the point? What's the point of coming to church? What's the point of praying? What's the point of doing what pastor says, right? Let me encourage you. Follow through. Follow through. So you all know my kids play competitive tennis, competitive sports. Some of your kids play competitive sports. And in certain sports, they tell you, follow through is important, especially the sports that require swinging something to hit a ball. So let's take baseball, for example, right? They tell you, follow through is important in baseball. Why? At least three things. It's because when you're following through on that swing, you, number one, you hit the ball solidly in the direction where you want it to go. So solid contact. That's why you follow through. The other reason you need to follow through is so you can more accurately direct the ball where you want it to go. So you make solid contact, so follow through. You want, you want to accurately direct it, so follow through. And you know the third reason they tell you that follow through is important? Watch this. Because proper follow through actually reduces your chance of getting injured. If you just do this, you're going to increase your chances of getting injured. You've got to follow through all the way through. My kids play tennis. And if you ask one of their coaches, why should I follow through? Why can't I just hit it like this? Why do I have to do that? <laughs> or that? Right? What's up with that? And they'll tell you, well, if you want your ground stroke to be consistent, you need to follow through. If you want your racket to gain momentum past the point of contact and gain power on that swing, you need to follow through. So listen to that. What does follow through do? Helps you make solid contact. Helps you gain accurate direction. It helps you reduce the chances of getting hurt. It adds consistency. It builds momentum. I wonder if it's the same in the life of faith. Like, I wonder if the reason we're not solid in our faith, the reason we may not have a good sense of direction, the reason we unnecessarily injure ourselves and our own souls is because we don't follow through with God. We don't gain momentum and we aren't consistent because our follow through in the faith is lacking. Listen, consistency is what separates the truly faithful from the fickle. Consistency is what sets apart the ones who fall away from the ones who endure to the end. I wonder 
I wonder how much of God's best we miss out on because we don't follow through. We stop short. We start out great. Man, that was a great prayer meeting, Pastor. Awesome. But that's the only one you ever attend. Right? Man, thank you for praying that one time over that request. Nothing happened. Ask and keep asking, and you will receive. Where's the follow-through? Man, I went to church that one time and got disappointed, man. I don't know about those people over there. Oh, man, the way that my kid, my kid had a little accident. No, I'm not going back to that place. Where's the follow-through, man? Right? Follow through. I'm going to do what pastor said. He's going to do this and that. And you do it once and that's it. Listen. Consistency. Momentum builds when you determine to follow through regardless of how you feel. That's how we grow in the life of faith. You don't follow your feelings. You follow the principles of the kingdom. You follow Jesus regardless so I, I, I want to just encourage those of you who are tempted to stop short. Man, God directed me in this path. I know I'm supposed to do this. I know absolutely it's been confirmed over and over again, Pastor. I'm supposed to walk this direction. Okay, are you walking that direction? Yes, I'm walking that direction. Oh, and then this thing happened. Oh, man, I got discouraged. This thing didn't work out. I got disappointed. This thing didn't work out. I failed. Okay? Did God tell you to move in that direction? Yes. So... Get back up and keep moving in that direction. Follow through. I wonder sometimes if we're, we're missing out because we're not following through. That's a great message to preach right before New Year's, isn't it, right? How many of you followed through on all your New Year's resolutions about this time of year, right? I don't know. They're all gone. Bro- Forget that. Ho- hopeless. Lost God. Let's start over, right? So don't stop short. Some of you are afraid because, man, what if I get disappointed again and again and again? And, and this is where you need to, to lean into the Lord and have a deep-seated trust in Him. And saying, God, I don't know what you're trying to do here, but I'm going to believe that you're a good heavenly Father. And that you said that if, we ask, if your kids ask you for bread, will you give us a stone? Right? God's not going to give you what's going to ultimately hurt you. But sometimes, you know, we think what's, we know what's best for us. And God knows what's best. So keep trusting him and follow through. Okay, you got the point. Last point. Serious seekers, they don't, they don't only follow through, but they worship with abandon. I want you to see this in this passage because this is actually perhaps the most surprising thing that happens here in the story of the Magi. Matthew continues and concludes the story of the, the three wise men in a rather undramatic way. Okay, watch. He says, on coming to the house. So they find the house. Let's see if I've got it here. Oh, I don't have it. Let me read it to you. In verse 11, it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. So they arrive in Jesus' neighborhood. They find the place where he's staying. And they got their whole caravan of how many camels and men and gifts and all that. They find Jesus, and the minute they enter the door, it says, when they, when they saw the child with his mother, they bowed down. Say, bowed down. And they worshipped him. Okay, and then 
We don't know how much time went by. It just looks like one thing happening after another here, but who knows? It says, at, at a certain point, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and, in, and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We're not told how long the wise men stayed, but you know what? I, I honestly believe they didn't stay for like five seconds or five minutes or even an hour. I think they stayed much longer in that house. And it's because of this word here for bowed down and worshiped. The word there in, this, in the original language here means to literally fall prostrate. To literally fall belly down, face down on the ground <laughs> in worship. In other words, the, the, the term is used in other places of, um, of a glass falling and breaking. So the Magi come into the room and when they see Jesus and Mary, it's not like they go, oh Messiah, oh King. Right? That's way too refined. They literally fall on their faces. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a room where the presence of God comes so powerfully and so thick that all you can do is fall on your face. All you want to do is fall on your face. That's what's happening to the Magi. They step in to an atmosphere that is thick with the glory of God. And they fall down. And they worship. They get, um, we call it zapped by the Holy Spirit. You know? Now, who knows how long they were on their faces. But I'm pretty sure Jesus was going, what's going on here? <laughs> At some point, they bring out their gifts. And they give gold, which is a symbol of wealth and status. A gift that would not have been appropriate for a young child. But a gift that would have been only appropriate for royalty. For a king. As they give the gold, they're saying, Jesus, you are king. They give incense or frankincense in this case. And frankincense was, a, uh, was like a, an oil that was used in um, burning incense. Uh, symbolizing the rising of prayers and offerings to God. Somehow the magis, these magi realize that this child is not just an ordinary child. He is divinity. And they recognize the divinity of Jesus as they give the incense. And then the last gift they give was kind of the most puzzling one. It's the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was what they used to embalm dead bodies, to preserve dead bodies. So it's a very strong, like, just perfume or just this stuff. And so they give this gift of myrrh foreshadowing that one day this child is going to give his life and sacrifice his life for the world. And so the Magi started this journey looking for a nameless, faceless king. And they ended up in a room having a personal encounter with Jesus. Did they find what they were looking for? Oh, you better believe it. And you know what? You will too. If you are looking for the living God with all your heart, you will find him. Tell the person next to you, you will find him.
And when you can't seem to find him, if I know God, I can tell you that he'll find you. Because sometimes we're not seeking. Sometimes we're hiding. Because we don't want God to find us. (laughs) I want to encourage you this Christmas season. Come out of hiding. Become a serious seeker. When you seek me, says the Lord, and find me, you will do so. When you seek and find me with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Max Lucado says this, if there are a thousand steps between us and God, he will take all but one. He will leave the final choice for us. The choice is yours. Um, So today, I want to ask the team to come up and we've got a little bit of time today. Uh, I want to ask the the Lord to, to... to speak to you today. I, I believe he has already. And maybe there's some of you here who are just, you know, you're really seeking God for something. Or maybe, you, you, you know, listening to my words today has awakened an awareness that maybe I am getting a little too complacent in my spiritual journey. Like maybe I'm, I'm getting a little too distracted, a little too overwhelmed with stuff that I haven't given focused time and energy to seeking the Lord with all my heart. So I want to create some space this morning and to see what God does today. Uh, Pastor Mike, and is Christina here too? Okay, Pastor Mike and Bing, you can just prepare yourselves, come here and let's, uh, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you forward for those of you who are seeking the Lord for certain things and you want uh, prayer this morning over that. But I'm just, I'm going to pray that the Lord will just awaken a hunger in us. Because the year, whoa. <laughs> Testing, oh, there we are, okay. The year that we're about to enter into, I believe the Lord's spoken to us clearly about what he wants next year to be about. And I'm going to share more about this on on New Year's Eve. I'm going to share more about this on Christmas Eve, the guiding scripture for our year as a church next year. But I believe the year 2020 is going to be a year of restoration. And it's not just restoration it's a double portion of the restoration and so I want to stir some faith in your heart to be believing God for what is it that you want him to restore in your life what is it that you need him to restore maybe you've forgotten about this stuff or maybe you've been waiting for a long time I believe 2020 is going to be a year where God's going to bring powerful restoration. You know what restoration is? It's not returning things back to the way they were. Biblically speaking, restoration is getting things better than they could have ever been because of God's ruling. It's getting things aligned to how God always wanted.